And he's like, oh yeah, you know, this thing is going to be bigger than C. Like, it's going to be huge. The next big language. And I remember thinking at the time, like, is he talking about JavaScript? <laughs> because I don't think that it's going to be that big. You know, front-end JavaScript developers were just so starved for a way to share code that I think it became a very natural outlet to say, well, hey, all the Node developers are doing it on NPM. Like, why don't we just use that? Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Michael Jackson. How you doing? Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Excellent. Yes, I brought you here because of Unpackage. So I'm happy to talk about that. But do you want to tell the audience, in case they happen not to be familiar with you, I'd be surprised if they weren't, but feel free to tell us uh, what you do and how you got here. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I think just about everybody on the planet is familiar with Michael Jackson although they might not be familiar with me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes I, I have to do a little bit of disambiguation. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a software developer. I live in uh, California, kind of in the San Diego area. Always love to meet up if you're ever, anybody's ever down here. I've been doing software development since about like 2008. Uh, primarily JavaScript. At the time I started doing software development, I thought JavaScript was huge. But I, I, I had no idea how big it was going to get and how it was really going to play such a major part in, in the future of software. So anyway. Excellent. And uh, so 2008, is that beginning of ES5 or ES5 has already been around? Like I'm trying to understand placement of when JavaScript was. You know, I remember back then, I remember um, there was a shim from a guy whose name is Dustin Diaz. That's a name that'll may ring some bells for people who've been doing JavaScript for a while. It was like a ES5 array methods shim. So JavaScript didn't always have, you know, filter and map and things like that on arrays, right? And so um, I remember like that was one thing that I would include in all of my projects is like, oh, I can use these fancy new array methods because it was something that you know it was just a polyfill really that uh, wasn't available in all the browsers but yeah that was that was around the time that um, you know that stuff was just kind of coming on the scene prototype was a big library prototype js some people listening might remember that one and uh, and of course jquery i was personally doing a lot of mootools back in the day it's actually funny because i look back and um, i had a couple of commits on the mootools repository like when I got involved with MooTools, it was actually called MooFX, Moo.fx. And it was just a little library for doing, like, it didn't do Ajax or anything like that. It was really just for doing little animations and transitions on the page. And um, I actually got a couple of commits in there and then moved on to jQuery. <laughs> but uh, it's funny, I, I just, I look back at that time and I'm, I think at the time I, Again, I like I thought JavaScript was a lot more mainstream than it was, and I thought like all of the things were. Yeah. But I was just in a little bubble. I didn't realize like most people weren't doing it back then, and it's it's since become you know huge. But yeah, and now there's there's no bubble, or at least it's a it's a very much larger bubble. <laughs> oh, it's amazing to me the things that people are doing with JavaScript nowadays. I don't know if you remember Steve Yegi, uh, who's a Googler who wrote a blog post probably around 2010 it was it was called like the next big language and he didn't want to name it and say what it was but he was talking about javascript and he was at google at the time and he saw some of the stuff that google was doing with javascript you know obviously they built you know a full document spreadsheet editor stuff in the browser with javascript and and he's like oh yeah you know this this thing is going to be bigger than c like it's going to be huge and i remember thinking at the time like is he talking about javascript <laughs> because I don't think that it's going to be that big, but it was. It's. It's. You're right. It's. It's huge now. It's a global community at this point. Yeah, and it's fascinating to to see the evolution because I came in a, towards the tail end of ES5 years. So like my JavaScript didn't really get serious outside of like copy and pasting some snippets until like 2012 when I started actually building projects. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, it was like JavaScript was great for doing like the 
manipulation and like Google Sheets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting around that time too as well, and even when I started, is that there wasn't a lot of like talk around build systems and doing stuff outside of script tags. I I always I didn't know how to do it. And Absolutely. Yeah. So like you you built Unpackage and you're maintaining it still. And I'm curious like what's the story behind that and like why why Unpackage? Yeah, well I mean, you know, you talked about using script tags and no builds. I mean, there's still a very very large percentage of the world population that doesn't have a build. <laughs> you know, people just dropping script tags into HTML pages and it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's it's beautiful I think because it's human and that's you know the web is kind of messy the web is is human and so like people are just kind of building things however they can right and and you know not everybody has their perfect build set up with parcel and the latest webpack or whatever you know is the latest and greatest thing and that's another i think bubble that i was in you know when i started working on react back in like 2014 uh 2015 i was like well everybody's you know building apps with you know they've got their build step now because we're all using JSX right and we all have um, you know Webpack is doing our build for us and there were some people who would show up so I was working on a project I still do work on a project called a React Router and I was working on it at that at that time and people would show up in the GitHub repo and they would say hey can we use React Router with a script tag. Like I'm not using a build. I don't have a fancy Webpack build. I really just want a script. I'm I'm using React. I've got a script tag for React. I've got a script tag for React DOM. I just want a script tag for React Router. And we were like, oh, huh, all right. So you need a script tag, okay? So we didn't have it published like on a CDN anywhere. Yeah, and so we thought, well, maybe we could just like commit it to our GitHub repo, and then they could link to it there. There was another project out at the time called CDNJS. And CDNJS is actually still going really strong. Yeah. It's a sponsored by Cloudflare. I think Cloudflare has basically brought the project in-house now. But CDNJS was basically just a it was a GitHub repo where you would commit the files that you wanted to be on the CDN. So, you know, jQuery would publish a new version and they would put, you know, that version of jQuery actually in this GitHub repo and then that file would be available on the CDN. Well, that is fascinating. I just started to interrupt I had no idea about that because I would actually use script tags from places that would point to CDN.js. Yeah. But I didn't know how to upload stuff myself to CDN.js. I'm just like, ah, oh, just add it in here. I guess I'll trust it. Uh, but I had no idea that it was actually a GitHub repo. It was just files in a GitHub repo, right? Wow. Which after a while got a little unwieldy, right? Because <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have like, you know, people are releasing. You know, patch versions of their libraries. You know, like I don't know, every couple of days, every week, or whatever, and and that code accumulates. So, I think this was like 2015. I was like, okay, I'm going to go and add React Router to CDNJS. And so I went to check out the repo, and the clone operation took me about 30 minutes. So I was like, ah, I don't know. All right, well, clone's done. That's fine. Uh, okay, I'm going to check out a new branch now to put my library in there. So I checked out a new branch. And checking out a new branch in a large repo, if you've never worked in like a, a repo that is several gigs, it can actually take a while. So like checking out, just the process of checking out a branch takes, you know, maybe 30, 40 seconds. And so this this repo was like huge and it was kind of unwieldy, but I was like, you know what, whatever, it's, it is what it is. I'm going to get my code in here. I'm going to commit it and I'm going to push and you know, submit a pull request to CDNJS. So I did that, and then there was like some comments in my PR that was like, "Oh, well, like I apparently I had done something wrong. I tried to like do everything right, but I, apparently I had done something wrong. So like, you need to go back and fix this and this." And I was like, "Wait a second! Like, I'm gonna have to go back and do another checkout. It's gonna take another minute, and then like fix it, and then do another commit, and that's gonna take another." Minute. <laughs> and I I have to say I was. I think I was just a little impatient at the time, and I was like, "I bet I could just build a proxy to npm <laughs> in that in the same amount of time as it's going to take me to like fix this and submit another PR." And so I did. I, I remember I was like in an airport one night. I was in uh, so I've I've done a lot of traveling for my uh, React training business, and so I, I was waiting to get on a plane. I think I was in Boston that night. And uh, I was like, okay, I got an hour before I hop on the plane. I, I wonder if I could like hack together 
our reverse proxy because we were already publishing in our NPM package, we were publishing our global builds that you could include in a script tag. And so what a lot of people were doing is they would NPM install React Router and then they would grab that file out of node modules and they would put that in their script tag, right? But these people, there were other people who were saying, you know, we just want a CDN is what they said. Like, we want it hosted on a CDN. We don't want to have to NPM install anything. So I was like, okay, well, we already have the files that we're publishing to NPM. Like, I'll just build a reverse proxy and then boom. And then I'll put it behind Cloudflare and then they'll have a CDN where they can get React Router. So the first version of it, I called it npmcdn.com. It's a lot of letters, but people who dev, they know what that, they know what that stands for, right? npmcdn.com. And I uh, put it up there, and it, like I said, I built it in like an hour, and, uh, and I put up the link. And this was almost five years ago, so this was like November 2015, and I tweeted about it. And I remember it was, it was, you know, it was so funny that I did it so quickly because I tweeted about it, and I hadn't yet even made like a homepage for it or anything. So like it was literally just, like if you went to npmcdn.com, it was just a blank white page. You had to actually put the package name in the URL in order for it to do anything interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, like what website does that? Just gives you a blank page, and then you like you have to manually punch something in the address bar for it to do anything cool. So anyway, so I did that, and then somebody somebody replied on Twitter. They're like, "Hey, you should probably like put a readme up there or something, so like people know how to use this because like that's not very useful." And so I did that, and I remember being like super stoked because. You know, now we had the CDN problem solved for the people who are using React Router, but then other people started using it as well. You know, because other people were doing the same thing we were. They were publishing, you know, UMD or global builds of their libraries to npm, and so they started, you know, putting it in their readme, like, "Hey, just link to unpackage.com/slash, you know, lodash or slash, you know, React itself uh, recommends, you know, that that's how you do if you if you want to use React in a script tag, you just link to unpackage.com/slash React and." And off you go. And, and over the years, we've evolved it, you know, so that you know it's, it supports things like you know in, integrity checks, so that you can you know make sure that you're actually loading the code that you think you're supposed to be loading on the CDN, so you don't get a sort of man in the middle attack and things like that. But uh, but yeah, it just started with my sort of impatience and 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 just a, a sort of idea that I had to build a little reverse proxy in front of the registry. Yeah, that's a uh, fascinating too. Like the timing wise, because I remember maybe uh, it was probably a couple years later uh, when I actually started using it regularly, and it was because when I worked at Netlify, the recommended solution for Netlify CMS was Unpackage, mm. and I'd heard of Unpackage but never used it at that point. But some other people on the engineering team was like, "Oh, just use this. We don't need to like you know create a bundle and a UMD or whatever yeah. uh, to make this work. It's one place npm." So I, I wonder how many. Now developers love this tool because they don't have to sort of ship their their bundled version of their packages other places. Yeah, I mean you're already publishing to npm, right? I mean that that was one of the really nice yeah. things about it is you know if if you're sharing JavaScript nowadays, you're publishing to npm, and so it's something that fits really well with your existing workflow. You're already publishing to npm, might as well just publish. You know you're, you're probably publishing a few different builds if you're publishing a JavaScript library nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so just create one for the browsers and put that in your package, and then you automatically have a, a CDN for it. Can we go back and talk about this reverse proxy and like understanding if maybe listeners aren't familiar with what that means and how you sort of approach that? Absolutely. So you're actually not physically hosting or have a database of a bunch of packages that you're maintaining and one day are going to unleash into the deno.land yeah. or whatever. Correct. Yeah. So I don't have. Uh, I don't have a big, you know, S3 bucket or something with all of the packages in it. The way that Unpackage is built is it's purely just a reverse proxy. So a reverse proxy is it's kind of a confusing term, but the basic idea is that, you know, on one end you have the client that wants to load the code from npm and on the other end you have npm and in the middle sits this reverse proxy. So you make a request to Unpackage and it turns around and makes a request to npm, which I think is the reverse part of it. Turns around, makes a request to npm, grabs the tarball, and then finds the file that you want, extracts it, and then gives you that file. And so there are other, you know, 
reverse proxy services that kind of, even service workers themselves in browsers, if you know people who are listening to this podcast might be familiar with service workers, are kind of reverse proxies in that sense, right? You have a, a request that's coming in from somewhere and you have the ability to either just respond to it directly or you know, go and make another fetch to somewhere else and respond with you know, whatever you got from there. So um, same, same kind of principle. Yeah, so we actually had an entire episode on service workers, uh, episode 18. Nice. So that's the actual episode. Nice. We, we talked before we hit record, but Zach Argyle actually came on and talked about how Pinterest leveraged service workers and their sort of revamping of Pinterest's uh, mobile web version to become a progressive web app. So it was a super fascinating talk, and if you, especially if you want to hear the early sort of use case of service workers, which now is kind of built into like Create React app and et cetera, which is pretty cool. Yeah, really interesting technology though. Like when you think about it, service workers are like they're they're almost like a little server that lives right there inside the browser, right? And you can just intercept any fetches that are going on and be like, "Oh, you you requested this, but I'm actually going to serve up this other thing instead." It's really really interesting technology. Yeah, and I I wanted to talk about the use case for someone who would want to use Unpackaged and like leverage script tags, because mm-hmm. uh, like in my mind, like I guess my evolution as a JavaScript engineer, npm's already existed at the time. I think Bower npm, like we they're basically around the same thing, but mm-hmm. npm sort of took over the space. Mm-hmm. Why would I not use npm as far as like my development cycle? I, can you speak on like the benefits of using something like Unpackaged and a script tag? Yeah. So first of all, when you when you're using Unpackaged, you are using npm, right? It's yeah, it's just a, it's just built on top of it. It's just like it's like a different way of consuming it, right? It's like um, you know giving you some different options. So I think JavaScript developers early on, like in the early 2010s, if you were doing JavaScript development, and you know somebody said, "Hey, share a JavaScript library with me," how would you do it? Right? So if you were using Node, the answer was actually pretty clear. I'll just publish an NPM library. You can NPM install my thing. And now in your Node program, require it, off you go. And, and so the Node community had figured out, hey, here's how we're going to share code. And the front-end JavaScript browser community didn't really have anything like that. We didn't even have a module loader. I mean, some, we, we just barely got a module loader. right? So when it came to how do we share code, we didn't really have an answer to that question. And, and I remember, I still remember the first time I, you know, npm install jQuery. That was a weird thing for me to do that. Cause I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, usually, like jQuery is in the browser, but now it's in my node modules folder. Well, what's it doing in there? You know? And, you know, it, it was kind of a weird concept f- to get used to, but, you know, front end JavaScript developers were just so starved for a way to share code. That I think it became a very natural outlet to say, well, hey, all the Node developers are doing it on NPM. Like, why don't we just use that? And 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 front-end developers using NPM is really something that NPM was not designed for. It's great as like, you know, they've got a couple of the, the primitives that we need, right? They've got a registry, they've got a nice CLI tool, we can NPM install, we can NPM publish, and we can share code. But when it comes to building a client-side app, NPM actually itself leaves a lot to be desired, right? Because how am I going to get a file from NPM into my client-side app? Well, along came the bundlers, right? So the bundlers came along and Webpack and Parcel and, and Rollup and everybody, and they said, hey, we'll help you to consume all that stuff. So you NPM install that stuff, and now we'll take that stuff that's in your node modules folder, and we'll bundle it up so that you can actually put it in a web app. Browserify was actually the very first one uh, on this train, you know, that that I ever heard of anyway, that that figured out, yeah, you know, people are sharing code that is meant to run in the browser on NPM. We need a way to get it to the browser efficiently. So Browserify, you know, came along and kind of pioneered this idea of take this node code and browserify it, put it in the browser. So Unpackage is another tool in that same kind of vein, except instead of requiring you to you know, do an NPM install step to get the code, we're a slightly different use case, right? Whereas you know, with Unpackage, you use script tags. 
which is actually kind of cool because you can output script tags with your bundler, right? So like I have a rollup plugin that I use with Unpackage that essentially will take an import statement. So let's say you say import React from React. Basically what this plugin will do is it will say, okay, in the output bundle, what we're going to do is we're going to get React from the unpackaged CDN. Because uh, you know browsers nowadays have import statements, right? Browsers have module loaders, and they can actually load code from URLs, but they don't know how to load code from just a bare import. You know, if you just say import from React, you know the browser doesn't know exactly where to get that. But if you say import from https colon slash slash unpackage.com slash react. Well, now it knows, okay, so here's the host name that I need to go and talk to, you know, to actually get this resource. Um, so unpackage is really just another tool in the, I, I feel like it's kind of a suite of tools, the bundlers, uh, CDNs like unpackage that kind of help make using NPM to develop browser applications a little more palatable, a little more useful. Yeah, and I think one of the best use cases I've had was actually through your React training, which you had mentioned previously, and also the reason why you were in an airport building this, is that my first step in learning React, uh, actually, it wasn't even from your training, because I did the advanced training. It was from Ken C. Dodd, oh, okay. uh, his training, and his first step is add it, like because the, the assumption is you've learned JavaScript, you can do a variable, you can make a map work, so now you're going to learn React. So here's an HTML page, add a script tag with React, and here's going to do the base level of making, not even at the time, actually, I think the intro is not even used, it's used create class, so not even JSX. Mm-hmm. So now you've imported React using unpackage, then you type React create class, and then you get to now create your first element, which is Hello World. Mm-hmm. And then that's basically sets a stage up for how you can learn how to use React without all the extra cruft of JSX and NPM and even the router. And I think in training and education, it's like huge. Absolutely. It can be daunting. Like if you asked me to go and set up a webpack build, I'd be like, oh boy, all right, here we go. <laughs> you know, I mean, not that those tools aren't, you know, ergonomic or whatever. They are. They're they're great tools, but it's it's a lot to bite off if you're just getting into web development, right? It's really helpful, I think, if you can just say, you know, okay, we're gonna introduce one new concept here, which is React instead of you know, and this was a huge hurdle for a lot of people getting into React, which is why I think they made Create React App. You know, a big hurdle for people was okay, not only am I using React, which is, you know, a new component model, a new model for managing state, I've got these lifecycle hooks, you know, like there's a significant amount of learning there. I also have a build that I have to do because I have to take this JSX looking code and you know, translate that into something that the browser can understand. So now I've got Webpack and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're like, we were creating intro to React courses, you know, back in 2015 when we, when we first started React training. And a lot of times the conversation would veer from React related stuff, which we really wanted to talk about because that, that's what we wanted to spend our time talking about because that's what we thought was, you know, the, most valuable for people to understand this new paradigm. And we found ourselves talking about Webpack, you know? So wait, wait, so we have got this JSX code. Now, how does that get translated into the browser? Well, you see, we've got a build. Okay, tell me more about the build. Okay, well, let's open up our Webpack config JS, and now we can look through and we can see our loaders, and this is, oh, now we're talking about Babel and how Babel does its translation, and you know what I'm saying? And yeah. how Babel presets work, and, and before you know it, you're off on this tangent. You're not even talking about React anymore, right? So as a learner, you're like, well, hold on. I thought I was going to go in here and learn about React. And we ended up talking about all this build stuff. So it's really nice in a situation like that where you can just say, not that you're being hand-wavy about it, but you're just, you're just going to say, okay, we're just going to drop a couple of script tags here. Okay, now let's get on with talking about the React concepts that we want to talk about instead of you know, taking a huge tangent to talk about how to build stuff from node modules for the browser, you know? Yeah, and the the one thing that came up around the time, I guess, when Unpackage came out, was the the term JavaScript fatigue. Yes, which is ironic where you come from a world back in two thousand eight where you're like, I don't think JavaScript's that big, and at this <laughs> at twenty fifteen, JavaScript was huge. Yeah, but things like Webpack and Browserify and like uh, all these other tools and even the build commands, it added to the cruft of like trying to learn how to do JavaScript. 
like my intro to JavaScript professionally, because I did a lot of tinkering with like things like Ember and jQuery. But when I started doing it full time was Angular. Mm-hmm. And just trying to understand what was happening in Angular one days, uh, I was just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just going to copy and paste from here. If it works in this page, I won't move too much stuff around and it'll, it'll work, hopefully. And that was like my, my deal of how I would do JavaScript. 100%. I mean, I still copy and paste code. Like, that's how people learn. That's how people get used to it, right? So if both of our starting points is an HTML file, then that works, right? But if you have one build configuration and I have one build configuration, that ability to like copy and paste or just drop a script tag in doesn't quite work the same anymore, right? Now you have to know maybe I need a special loader for that library or, or something, right? So yeah, it can, it can definitely reduce friction both in learning and also in sharing or you know copying and pasting some code, just making it easier for people to get up and running and to use it. So um, I wanted to save some time for what is uh, what are you working on with Unpackage? What's like next up for Unpackage? Because I think the use case is awesome. Uh, actually, I was going to save my pick actually, so I'll mention my pick of my use case with Unpackage when we get there. Uh, but I'm curious, so what do you have uh, for plans in the future? Oh man, I'm glad you asked. So there is actually a lot of pretty exciting stuff coming up. So back in uh, 2017, I gave a talk at uh, React Rally where I demoed this this flag, this module query parameter for Unpackage that basically lets you load ES modules in the browser. Um, and ES modules have come a long way since then. We actually have like good module. I, I actually had to demo it in like a, a preview version of Firefox, but ES modules are full time in the browser now. And more and more uh, authors are publishing ES modules to NPM. And so uh, I'm actually uh, working on a release right now, which should be released by the time this podcast goes live. Unpackage um, is going to be able to convert any library to ES modules, any, any library on NPM. So anything that you need to load, even if they just publish CommonJS, the one that I think about most of the time is React itself. Although there are some forks of the React package that publish ESM, React itself only publishes CommonJS um, and a UMD global build. So this will actually let you load React itself right there in a, in a script type equals module tag, which would be great. Um, so again, any library that's on NPM, the module query parameter is going to work for all of them. I'm also introducing a new bundling feature onto Unpackage. So I'm actually putting the bundler in the server itself, putting the bundler in the CDN. So traditionally, if you're loading ES modules without any kind of a build step, you usually have a pretty big waterfall that goes on, right? So you'll load module A and module, once the browser gets and parses module A, it realizes, okay, you actually need modules B and C, and then they have dependencies, and so this waterfall kind of plays out. And so I'm actually introducing a bundler into the CDN itself to optimize that process for you. So we can preload modules before they're actually, um, so we, we can like hoist transitive dependencies basically of those modules in the module graph. We can hoist them into the entry point. We can also take an entire library, for example, something like 3JS or D3 or, uh, or React or any, any library view that you might be using and bundle that whole thing up into a, uh, into a single file so you can load it in a single request on the CDN. So we're working on that as well. Another really cool feature that I'm working on and that I'm hoping will actually get people pretty excited and, and should be really interesting actually to this crowd that love developing with Jamstack is, um, so Unpackage currently has the ability to serve an HTML file. So if you, you can publish an HTML file in your uh, NPM package and we will serve that from unpackage.com. But it doesn't have a lot of the nicer features of you know, a good HTML server like Netlify or Surge SH. They'll do things like rewrites and redirects for you. Um, so you can serve like a single page application you know, using something like React Router from a server like that. Um, so I'm actually adding support for that to unpackage.com. So if you wanted to, you, know, you could take your Webpack build output, publish a new NPM package, uh, and serve an entire website you know, with support for rewrites and redirects, loading modules, the entire thing, loading it on a global CDN with over 200 data centers all around the world. And so uh, I think that'll actually be pretty interesting for people who are interested in, especially people who are like using the static site generators, you know, whether it's Next or Gatsby, uh, maybe you're currently using Netlify. 
you'd actually be able to go ahead and use Unpackage for a similar reason. You know, like if you publish to Netlify and um, they'll give you like a hash, right? For that, just that publish, right? That build. Yeah. And so you have these like static URLs that will never change. Yeah, they call them uh, atomic deploys is what they call them yeah. in their, their docs. That's right, atomic deploys, right? So you'll, you'll push, and I, and I think the atomic deploys are probably based on like a git hash or whatever of, of you know, the repo at that state. But if you think about it, you know, your NPM versions are actually a suitable identifier for an atomic deploy because you can't overwrite them, you know, you can't delete them or unpublish them. So once you publish a package, that's it. It's immutable. And so you can actually use the NPM version number to do atomic deploys on unpackage. You want to publish a new version of your site, just publish a new version. Um, and then we'll also have the ability to alias you know, to add an alias. So you'll say, okay, I'm publishing the current version of Brian's blog. The current version is, you know, version 1.5.3. And then, you know, you can publish 1.6, go and check it out, make sure everything looks okay. And if it does, go ahead and update the alias so that you're pointing to, you know, the 1.6 version now. So it's using this idea of atomic deploys, but also using it with, you know, just using it with NPM version numbers. And, and the reason I think that's so cool is because it ties into an existing workflow that you're already used to, right? You're already NPM publishing. And so, you know, you don't really have to install any new like infrastructure or, or learn a whole lot of new stuff. You can just, it's kind of the reason why I think Unpackage caught on in the first place is because people are already publishing the NPM. They already have that, you know, integrated into their workflow. So, now you can publish sites and do atomic deploys and rewrites and and uh, redirects and all sorts of cool stuff on a global CDN. So I'm hoping that'll catch on. I'm hoping people enjoy that. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, actually, it was really intriguing because one thing that I've gotten the habit of, uh, so I host my, one of my sites on Netlify, and because I get a different version for every branch and every PR, mm-hmm. I actually put a link of that into my release notes. So if ever, for whatever reason, if I need to go back and be like, ah, oh, something broke, you know, Three versions ago, mm-hmm. I can always go back to the release notes and be like, "Okay, well, this one worked. What changed between there?" I always have like a, a, a state that's linkable somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could see myself using Unpackage to have a build command or even like a GitHub action to basically deploy and make sure that that build is pointed to Unpackage, mm-hmm. and then that way, forever and eternity, anybody who finds my my package somewhere like in, in use and they want to see like an older version and see how it looked and, and worked. In that sandbox, I could point it directly to Unpackage. Be like, "Hey, this use Unpackage to import it." But also, if you want to see a version of that live three versions ago, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I think the other thing is like, I started putting in my release notes because I wanted it to be discoverable. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, once I deploy a new version to production on Netlify, no one really can find the older versions mm-hmm. unless I make it discoverable. So, like, mm-hmm. I think that would be a cool place to. Have that discoverability. Yeah. Um, so I'd be curious to see how that sort of unfolds and how it uh, fits in the the future of the product. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it'd be perfect for something like that, in my opinion. Um, it's great for you know any, any of those use cases that you have for atomic deploys. You know, deploying static sites. I think it'd be really really great for that. I just think it needs a couple of uh, features that I'm planning on adding really soon here. So pretty excited to see how how that all shakes out. Uh, another really cool piece of tech that I've been using uh, to build out some of the more recent things that I've been working on with Unpackage is Cloudflare Workers. So I I, I should definitely spend some time talking about Cloudflare uh, because they have been amazing to work with. They're the main sponsor behind uh, Unpackage. And I've been using Cloudflare Workers to do some really cool stuff. So for example, like we currently have a 99.7% cash hit rate on unpackage.com. Wow. So so that's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's crazy. Like almost all of the content that comes from unpackage.com comes straight from a data center that is very very close to you geographically speaking. So one of the ways that we've actually been able to achieve that level is of caching is through, you know, really aggressive cache control headers obviously because nothing gets unpublished from unpackage ever. So we can be pretty aggressive with the with the cache control max age. But then we can also achieve uh, even greater levels of caching with Cloudflare workers. So Cloudflare workers have this really cool key value store that lets you store, you know, all sorts of interesting pieces of metadata and things. So lots of times we can do the resolution uh, of your request right there in a worker and avoid some of the redirects that we were previously doing. So really, really cool technology that's like, 
you know, it's it's not quite a replacement for like a you know full blown node server. You know, if you're using like Lambda or, or Azure Functions or whatever, Google Cloud Functions, not quite there yet. But you can do a lot of really cool stuff with Cloudflare workers, and so they're they're a really really cool tool to sort of augment the capabilities of your site. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned them too because uh, once again we had them on the podcast episode 31. Kenton Varda. Oh, okay. He's the one that actually created Cloudflare Workers. I sort of like kicked off that that project. Oh, super powerful feature. Highly recommend people use that. Uh, the product itself, I think, really is interesting. It's we were talking about service workers a little bit earlier. Yeah. They basically, and you've probably all of your listeners probably know this if they heard that episode, but they built out like a service worker environment. I mean, they just use the service worker API for the Cloudflare workers, which is beautiful, right? We were talking earlier about how I, I just I'm kind of an engineering geek. So like when I see something that like I feel is like a great decision or a, a great sort of simple way to do things, you know, I mean they could have invented their own API and said, you know, in order to get a request, it looks like this, and in order to build a server, it looks like this. But they're just like, no, you know what? We've already got a really good, you know, most most of these things that people are building in Cloudflare workers are going to be these little reverse proxies anyway. You know, get a request, figure out what needs to happen, maybe make a fetch, maybe consult a cache, something like that, right? Service Worker API has all of that stuff. So let's create that and we'll let people, instead of running service workers in browsers, they're now running these service workers in these data centers that are like all over the world. It's it's actually really cool. It's I've been having a blast with it. So I would highly recommend you check that out if you uh, if you haven't yet. Excellent. So yeah, thanks so much for chatting about Unpackage. I think this was super impactful, and like I think the uh, I was trying to think of a pun, but I kind of flopped that one. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was cool to unpackage just uh, this conversation. Maybe I'll stick yeah, with that nice. one. <laughs> but yeah, with that, I wanted to transition us to picks. Uh, so I encourage everybody to go to unpackage.com, check out the uh, the landing page, uh, and this gives some information uh, on how to use the the product and stuff like that. Um, but jam picks, jam picks are things that we're jamming on. Could be foovie, uh, food, uh, music, movie related. Uh, I said foovie, and I said that was food and movie together. So if you eat while watching movies, which who doesn't at this point? It's pretty much required. If I'm sitting there at a movie and I'm not eating something, I'm just like miserable. Yeah, I'm hating it. Exactly. Uh, my my son is addicted to popcorn, so uh, it's pretty much a requirement if we watch any uh, any uh, long feature films. And I was just going to mention that uh, popcorn's not my pick. Uh, so my first pick <laughs> is Jamstack.conf. For those who are interested, Jamstack.conf just came off a, a virtual version. I think it was supposed to be in London roughly like three months ago. And they do their regular San Francisco version uh, in the fall, and which will also be remote too as well. So thanks uh, for all pandemics for making everything remote. Yeah. Uh, but the cool thing about that, it will be accessible to all. Uh, so you don't have to come to San Francisco for it. I don't know if there's a ticket price, but uh, you should definitely check out the website and see if there's a ticket price. Uh, it should be pretty affordable, if not free. And uh, so definitely check that out because I think everybody who's into the JAM stack will get pretty good insight just from the community. Uh, my second pick is what I wanted to talk about Unpackage with, which is my Baybot. Uh, so I have a, a Twitch bot because uh, I do some live streaming. Okay. Uh, and this Twitch bot is called Baybot because it presents GIFs of Beyonce. Ah. And the way I built this, and a lot of people don't realize these, these chat integrations and bots are browser sources. So you're just shipping a basically an HTML page to the Twitch chat, and then it actually presents itself on the screen as a, a browser. So as long as you sort of take away the background, it actually overlays over your face, and you can do animation and stuff. Wow. Um, there's a lot of creative people on Twitch who have done a lot of cool things. Uh, there's companies built around this. But I wanted to bring this up because this is my use case for things like Unpackage. Because when you're starting to use things like OBS and you're powering from your, your Mac laptop with almost zero cores left, mm-hmm. streaming to worldwide audiences, you have to make sure that the way you're importing stuff is not coming from an NPM server. It actually has to come from a CDN or it has to be local. So I either have to download all my JavaScript files, put them in a folder, and then I can present Beyonce for the crowd. Mm-hmm. Or I can just add a script tag, which has got me back into like really loving uh, all the JavaScript I missed, which is have a JavaScript file, have an HTML file, have some CSS mm-hmm. and a style tag, and then I move on. And that's how the Baybot lives. So if you went to um, the, the repo, will be linked in the show notes, but it's open source slash Baybot. That's the, the Baybot, and you'll see there's a dev2 post too, also linked, 
where I just sort of walk through how I built this with just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and it's beautiful. And it makes me want to go back to the past when things were so much simpler, yeah. where I can just add some JavaScript where I, where I want to. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, actually. There's something that like I just I just love about that too, just the simplicity of it. It's uh, of not having a build, you know. It's really nice. Yeah. So you're pretty you're pretty into Beyonce, huh? Yeah, I'm a I am a a, a Bay fanatic, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, y'all should uh, maybe that should be a, a pick. But Black is King came out on Disney Plus. Yeah. That so was... definitely definitely watch that and everything else she's done. I saw that. I've been uh, listening to the the soundtrack. Uh, do you want to do your last pick? Oh, my last pick is basically Fiverr, which is not much of a pick, but the way I've approached using Fiverr is I, I need, had some need for some animations and some like light graphic design work, and the way I've been doing this is to make it super cheap for myself. I find a tutorial on YouTube mm-hmm. of like what I would do if I wanted to spend six hours learning how to do it, and I just give that to the Fiverr person, mm-hmm. and then they return it back in like less than a day. So. It's been an amazing sort of Fiverr hack. Uh, highly recommend just go find a tutorial that you don't want to learn. Uh, hand it to the Fiverr person who already knows how to do it, and they're just like, "Ah, oh, I can do this." Oh man, I I should do that like with Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, "Hey, uh, can you help me get this?" Because I I've tried like at least ten different tutorials and I just can't get it. Or Rust. I wonder if anybody's on there teaching Rust. That's one thing I want. Oh, that would be amazing. Just be like, I know what I want. I just don't know how to do it. If I give you this book, yeah, yeah, <laughs> can you yeah, just yeah. Like, look at chapter six and then build this for me. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, man. It really is like, that's one of the most powerful things I know is to get help from the right person when you need it. Yeah. It, it is so hard to put a price on that, right? And if somebody could like really figure out how to, you know, somehow make that easier, like, it, it, I think probably the best thing I know for that right now is YouTube. Yeah. You know, like my children are, um, they're learning card magic tricks. My boys are practicing card magic tricks. One of my children the other day used a YouTube video to figure out, you know, to help him solve the Rubik's Cube. One of my girls is using YouTube to, to learn how to do rainbow loom and how to do crocheting and knitting, which I just learned this week are actually two different things. You know, one of my other children, my five-year-old uses YouTube. There's a uh, channel, what's it called? Something like Drawing with Kids or Art with Kids or something. Uh, I think my son also watches something very similar. It is an amazing channel. It is a, it is a man and his daughter usually. Yes, yeah. And well, they, we watch this one. And they sit together and they draw. And he's like, okay, we're going to draw the eyes. And then she draws the eyes. Okay, now we're going to draw the nose. And then she draws the nose. And my five-year-old, I walk in on her, I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, you know, I'm just drawing this haunted house with these bats and these ghosts and like all this detailed, you know, scene. And she's five. And I'm like, YouTube is amazing. <laughs> it, it really that, is. That, maybe that'll be my number one pick. I'm sure you've all heard of it, but I, it, it never ceases to, to blow my mind. Who needs public school when you got YouTube? Mm-hmm. YouTube is amazing. Okay, my picks are, um, well, I got to talk about TypeScript. I, I know it's kind of a divisive topic. Uh, very, um, very much so. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, you know, so I, I feel like sometimes like I'm just barely learning JavaScript and then all of a sudden this thing comes along TypeScript and I have to figure this out as well. So I've been doing TypeScript for about, ooh, probably about like five months now. And I really feel like I'm starting to click with it finally. It's been, uh, you know, a hike for me to get here. M- most of my problems with TypeScript stemmed from the fact that I, I also was trying to learn VS Code at the exact same time because I heard that, oh, that's if you're using TypeScript, then you also want to be using VS Code. So not only was I, it's kind of like our previous conversation, right? About learning React and you also have to learn Webpack at the same time. I was trying yeah. to learn TypeScript and I was like, well, I got to learn VS Code at the same time. So it was kind of a, a hurdle for me. But I, anyway, I got it figured out. I got some kind of good stuff installed. I'm actually using Vim these days. So this will be like my. My, the second half of my first pick is coc.nvim. It is a Vim plugin that gives you IntelliSense in Vim using uh, the exact same language server that VS Code uses. Um, and there is all sorts of really cool stuff. So, you know, IntelliSense, but also, you know, browsing inline documentation and, and autocomplete and all that great stuff right there in your, in your editor in Vim. So it's really, really cool. 
definitely check out coc.nvim if you're a Vim user. And it has helped me to make peace with TypeScript. So I'm actually kind of geeking out over TypeScript now because like, and this, I guess, from me is just kind of like a plea to people who are struggling with it to like, just give it a bit of time, give yourself some love and some time and be patient with yourself and you'll figure it out because there is some great stuff there and it's going to help you write some good code. So just, you know, tough it out. You'll get there. We all have the learning curve. We all struggle with the learning curve. I, I feel like, uh, you know, this learning curve for me, having been in the industry now for like, I guess over 10 years, I don't know, I guess just as I get older, I'm like, I should already know how to write code. Well, here I am back, like learning the basics of this new language, you know? And so it, it kind of slows me down for a while, which is a little bit frustrating. And I think that might be a lot of people's frustration with it is like it's slowing them down a little bit. But, you know, once you get like, once you really get into the sweet spot and it's like, you know, giving you, I mean, there, there are still some warts on it, no doubt. But once you get into the sweet spot and it's really giving you like really helpful messages where you might have, you'll probably find yourself writing code that you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that was broken before. And like, it's actually quite good now. So really nice stuff. So my last pick will probably be Remix. So Remix is this new project that I'm working on with my longtime business partner, Ryan Florence. And we are super stoked about this. And I'm pretty sure the Jamstack crowd is going to love this. I don't really mean to be disrespectful at all about any of the other frameworks that are out there, but Ryan and I have not, you know, we've kind of been sitting here for a while now, like looking around, surveying the ecosystem. You know, we built React Router five years ago, been maintaining that project ever since. It's been going well, but I'm looking around and I'm surveying the ecosystem and I do not see a project that really speaks to the way that I want to write websites and the you know the the capabilities that I think React presents especially when you know we're talking about you know the future of React some of the things that are you know that they've been working on now for the past couple of years suspense I just I just I look out there and I just don't see it so we earlier this year our training business kind of stalled a little bit. By the way, the training business is still going strong. So if you want React Training, give us a call, reacttraining.com, shoot us an email. We'd be happy to help you out there. But um, we figured, you know, while that's kind of in a little bit of a lull, we're going to work on this thing that we have wanted to see for years now. And it's a, it's a straight up framework from, you know, everything that you might expect. I think it's, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, it's like, it's just a lot of like old kind of tried and true ideas just applied to this great modern web development stack that we have. And so, um, you know, it's using React. I wrote our own uh, custom development server using Rollup. We use Rollup a lot in there, which is really cool. Um, so the bundling is all using Rollup. You could watch a couple of the videos if you visit remix.run. Um, we've got a couple of posts up there that are kind of showing people kind of where our heads are at, what we're thinking about. But, you know, the ideas of being able to build a hybrid site that is completely server rendered, but also lets you do client side navigation and transitions. It's actually kind of tricky to do. It's kind of like a holy grail, so to speak, of, of web development, right? Like yeah. you want the server rendered page so you can cache it, so you can for SEO, all of that kind of stuff. And traditionally that means that you kind of go that all that way. Or you decide for some reason that none of that's important, and so you have a completely client-rendered app. But it's hard to have a really nice hybrid that just loads the pieces of the app that actually need to, to be loaded. So that's what we're working on. If you're interested in a new framework that's really based on just a lot of really old, proven technologies, go ahead and check out Remix.run. We are hoping to be launching that before, uh, before the holidays hit. So we're going to be cranking on that this next month, September and October. Excellent. Yeah, looking forward to it. And I, I, f- I feel like the React ecosystem has evolved so much now that we've got all these flavors and frameworks. Mm-hmm. The, the irony of uh, React constantly, or the community saying React is a library, mm-hmm. now what everybody's wanted is the opinions. And um, mm-hmm. having the opinions to be able to get something up and running really quickly, and I think that's what... That's my goal right now. Is this can I ship something really quickly? Mm-hmm. And I think the testament to that is uh, things like tailwinds. 
Like I think now I don't have to think about CSS anymore, mm-hmm. like ever again. Yes, please let me stop thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if I can stop thinking about like you know structure of React code and how to handle server rendering and uh, routing and how to set it up, mm-hmm. uh, maybe your your command if it's not re- remix run is not the command that that'd be a, a missed opportunity. <laughs> oh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know that's exactly what it is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That'd be a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> If I can just remix run and have a project up and running and then swap some images out and get some data in there and then walk away. Yeah, so it's it's gonna be completely based on on React Router V6, which is a totally open source uh, project. Okay. You know, one of the one of the coolest ideas I think behind it is we're matching routes with data loaders, right? Server-side data loaders. So let's say, you know, you're building out your page, you're building out your site. Oh, you know, I realize I actually need some data here. You go pop open a new file. And this file is actually going to run on a on your server somewhere, so right. So you can put, you know, secrets there. You can put database credentials there if you need to go talk to a database. If you need to go and talk to some, you know, third party API or whatever, put your API tokens there. Create your loader that runs on the server, and then create your file that is your component, right? Your React component that is your route component that actually needs that data. Now your job is done now because you've linked up the file to its data source. So now when somebody requests that page. If they land on that page, that file is actually going to be rendered on the server, and that data is going to be fetched on the server, and so it's going to be in the page right there ahead of time. Or if they're browsing around the site and they navigate to that page, you know, using like a React router link, like a client side link, then we're going to fetch that data uh, from the server dynamically, you know, at runtime. So it's it's almost like you're building out your app declaratively, like you're saying, here's a here's a component, here's a route, here's some data that that route needs. I don't have to decide as the developer. How to stitch them together anymore, and how to get that like to the client in the most efficient way possible. I can just sort of declare these things, and then it's going to sort of be stitched together, at, at, you know, in the most efficient way, depending on where the user landed and how they got to that page. So, and that's just one sort of thing that we're doing for you. But um, stuff like that that I'm really excited about that I I just don't ever want to have to think about that kind of stuff again. Like I just. I know how I want it to be done, and I just want it to be done like that. And once I'll build Remix, then I'll just build everything with that, and then I don't have to think about it. Excellent. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to learning more about that. Again, it was great to unpackage this and learn about Unpackage. Yeah, man. Which I think I, I think that landed this time. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 